This is the Raising Athletes podcast, episode six, with University of San Diego women's volleyball coach Jennifer Petri. Hi. This is, I'm, bleh. <laughs> <laughs> Once you know it's for real, you're like, <laughs> okay, Hi, I'm Kirsten Jones. And I'm Susie Walton. And this is our podcast, hashtag Raising Athletes with Kirsten and Susie. Our passion is supporting parents and raising not only strong athletes, but extraordinary people. Join us each week as we tackle all topics youth sports, including everything from early specialization and overuse injuries, to helping our kids feel empowered and learn how to advocate for themselves, not only in the classroom and on the court, but at dinner tables and in their communities. We'll be talking to coaches, athletes, parents, and anyone else who will speak to us <laughs> about their experiences with youth sports and their paths to success. And even more importantly, their failures. Yes, we're going to get into the gritty details of what went wrong so that we can all learn from it, teach our kids and ourselves how to do better next time. Because in the words of Maya Angelou, when you know better, you do better. So welcome to Raising Athletes, because we love to win too. Let's do this. Today's guest is one of the first people who came to mind. Back when I first had the idea that I wanted to do a podcast, gosh, two years ago, I've been wanting to do this and I'm so excited this is actually happening now. Jennifer Petrie and I were teammates at the College of William and Mary back in 1991. Unfortunately, it was only for one season as I transferred in there my redshirt junior year, which was Jen's senior year. Um, but the one year that we did have together, we had tremendous success. As a team, we won the conference. Um, she was the MVP. Um, we, we really gelled and we really benefited from collaborating and, and storming, forming, norming, performing at the right time as a team. What I admire most about Jen is her tenacity to win. And I'm talking about she wants to win everything. Um, and my biggest memory, again, this is 25 years ago, but I remember being recruited to play on her team's pika wiffle ball <laughs> tournament in the spring after the season had ended because even though it was just for fun, Jen wanted to win it all. And that's what I loved about playing with her was we were always in it to win it. And we laughed today because we played together. Um, we had one very unique opportunity to play against the team that I transferred, the school I transferred from. We got to play San Diego State that year. And nothing would have been sweeter to me than having transferred from there to actually beat them. And they were at the time, they were top 20 in the country and we were not ranked. So it would have been a huge upset coming from a small school. I don't really remember many other matches um, in my career, quite honestly. It's all a blur this far out. But I do remember that match very well. And we took them to five games and we had many opportunities to close them out. But we just couldn't quite make it happen as a team. I think it was a lot of pressure and I think we were quite intimidated by them. But I do remember very clearly Jen just telling me, just set me the ball. I was a setter and she was the outside hitter. And I remember, you know, always feeling like, yes, anytime that ball goes up and, and I'm giving it to her, she's going to put it away. 
So it is my great honor to have my former teammate on my podcast to chat about her journey now as a coach, about what advice she has for parents of young athletes. Um, I think she's very uniquely qualified to talk about this because not only is she a Division I coach, but she's also a parent of a teen volleyball player. So she understands it from both sides. She's you as well. She's in the, in, on the courts watching um, not only as a coach, but also as a parent. And we also discuss nutrition. We t- discuss how important it is to fuel your body and to order to get the, uh, the best results. And we dig d- deep into the, the mental part of the game and how USD preps for all of their big games. So I'm really excited to have her on. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's show. This is Raising Athletes. All right. Welcome today uh, to Raising Athletes podcast. We have San Diego, University of San Diego women's head volleyball coach and my former teammate at William & Mary, uh, Jennifer Petrie. And if we went through your bio, it might take us 20 minutes. So we'll just talk about all the amazing things you've done in a nutshell to say four-time coach of the year for the West Coast Conference. You've gone to the NC tournament 15 times, is it? Um, always having a dominating team. And I love following you and seeing what you're doing with your team just because it's so inspiring to, to see what you did in college and then how you transitioned, it seems like seamlessly, into coaching and have been able to be such an impact coach at such a high level from a program when I played at San Diego State, we played USD in the springtime and they barely got onto the court to being a contender and always making it to the tournament. And so... Welcome, Jen, and I would love to have you tell everyone, we have a lot of parents and teens listening, you know, they want to hear, like, how do you do it? How, do, how does it happen? And I would love to hear uh, your story and talk about maybe taking you back to San Diego and club volleyball days for you. Wow, thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be here and to talk with you. I feel like we don't get enough time to, to catch up, so thank you so much. Yay. Um, Yeah, and I am so fortunate to be at University of San Diego, and it's been my home for 20 years now, um, which is unimaginable, um, because before that, I spent four years coaching at the University of North Carolina, so I got to live in the ACC land, went from ACC to WCC, one coast to the other, and I started my career at Indiana State University as their first assistant, um, being from California. I accepted that job on the phone, sight unseen. <laughs> back in the days when in the summer you graduate from college and you're not quite sure what the heck you're going to do with yourself. Um, and I wanted to um, stay in the sport. Um, and so I ac- accepted the job on the phone and flew out there to my new job and to my new home. How did you, how did you even find them or they found you or do you remember? <laughs> they were just posted. You know, there was all sorts of um, jobs posted, um, NCAA websites. So you can always go see who's looking um, for, for young coaches to, you know, travel wherever. And that's a big part of getting into coaching is that willingness to go wherever and not try to focus in on, I want to live here, so this is where I'm going to be and where I want to start my career. It's truly a career you have to go um, where the opening is. Yeah. So I did that and moved to Terre Haute, Indiana. And that was an eye-opener for a California kid who's never lived anywhere with snow. I mean, Williamsburg certainly, you know, smattering (laughs) here and there, but not anything like I'd ever seen um, in Indiana. So 
Um, yeah, I was fortunate because I, I got a job right out of college um, and at a first assistant job right out of college, which really these days you really have to start um, either in a grad assistant position or volunteering with a program, you know, working camps um, at universities in the summer, hmm. which is really a good, find a good opportunity to network and meet people and learn and then get involved. So um, my path um, started out um, you know, I was there for 10 months and I moved, you have to, I up and moved and went to Chapel Hill and luckily I was there for four years and, um, really fortunate to be able to move back to San Diego where, you know, that's my home and my hometown and my family's here. So I've really been lucky. Yeah. So along that path and the coaches that you've had all the way back to club, I remember you playing for John Cook, right. And then playing for obviously the amazing Debbie Hill in college, who, who have you modeled your coaching after, or is it amalgamation of all the people that you've played for, or can you talk about your style of coaching? And how Yeah, I, I, I certainly is an amalgamation, good yeah. word, um, because I have, I have worked with and played for very different styles of coaches, um, from extremely organized and um, numbers-driven, competitive nature, John Cook, who's now in Nebraska, national champion, um, to playing for Debbie Hill, who was the most nurturing and inspiring um, coach, I think, that will make you just feel like you are the best thing um, on the earth. Right. <laughs> will boost your self-esteem to a place where you play better than you even thought you could. Yes. Um, you know, and I worked with Joe Segula, who um, was a combination of the two also. So I got to... Um, work with and be mentored by some fantastic coaches to kind of bring to USD what I feel like is a really, really good balance. And what I hope the players feel like is, is balance. And we talk about balance a lot, making sure that they are division one athletes at the same time, they have a life, they're students, they are members of the community. We're out and doing community service, um, other things that create um, their whole person, not just sport. Fabulous. So let's talk a little bit about um, how, how could somebody get to you, right? So you have a lot of parents listening in. They've got girls. My daughter is 12, just started playing club volleyball. I grew up in Montana, so I never played club volleyball. We didn't have that then. Yeah. I walk into the gym and I'm just amazed. <laughs> Thousands of people Everyone. that are there yeah, 10 hours a day playing volleyball, and you look at the statistics, and you know that 1% of us is going to get a kid to play at this level, at your elite level, at Division One level, right? So can, let's talk a little bit about, like, early sports specialization. What do you, how do you feel about, you know, we've, we, talk, we talked before we jumped on the call about things have changed so much since we were growing up. How, how have you see, see it evolved? Yeah, I feel like um, certainly kids are having to make decisions in their, in their number one sport really early, in their priority sport um, extremely early. And I always, you know, because I have three kids, as you know, I've yeah. got a 15 year old who is in the thick of club volleyball. I've got a 11 year old son who's playing baseball and some basketball and some football and playing, you know, doing what we all hope our kids can do and play a little of everything and figure out what you like. Yep which then as a parent, you feel like it's to the detriment of him being really good at anything. Yes. But 
Um, so with my kids, we spend a lot of time talking and Caroline, about what's Caroline into. I know Caroline luckily is into dance <laughs> <laughs> and theater and things I know nothing about, but I'm like, are you trying your best? <laughs> yes, totally. Totally. Because and she said, don't worry, mom, you win at that? <laughs> because I'm going to win it. <laughs> Yeah. A lot of torns in her. How <laughs> can you win this? So um, we spent a lot of time trying to remind ourselves because, you know, Apple did not fall far from the tree with my daughter, who's extremely competitive. Um, we can play foosball in the backyard and that might send somebody to their room in a fit. So why? Why are we playing? Whatever it is, why? And once you choose that sport and it has to be, and if you decided to just pick one, which she did, she chose. What volleyball. age did she choose that? She was, I think she was 12. Cause you know, she played the gateway sport, which I'm sure soccer people don't like to hear that, but I feel like it's the gateway sport. <laughs> you start your kid in soccer at five. And um, so she did some of that. She played some basketball. She played, you know, some other things, but um, she really loved to play volleyball. And so if your child really loves it and is not complaining about going to practice, not, you know, looking forward to playing on the weekend, looking forward to, um, you know, going into the gym, you're not pulling teeth. I know I've had, you know, times where I'm like, you got practice on, you know, basketball practice Wednesday. Oh, I don't want to go. And well, then why? Why are we, you know, you have, they have to love it. Otherwise, you're in it for the wrong reason. I think. Yeah, so. being intrinsically driven, right? If it's not intrinsic, yeah. then, yeah. Um, so as the girls are getting older and they're developing more skills, are you finding what's what's the story now with beach? I mean, beach wasn't an option when we were in college, right? Are you? I was hearing yesterday that some of the girls have selected beach as their main sport by seventh grade, eighth grade, and they're committing very early too, right? Yes. Yeah, beach is becoming a lot like indoor in terms of you know being recruited and having the opportunity at universities and and you know in my opinion I mean beach is a completely different sport yeah and so if you choose to play beach then and you want and that's your love and that's your passion then you play beach and a lot of kids are making that choice where they're like I'm just gonna go I'm just gonna play beach I'm not playing indoors anymore um do you have a beach program at USC? No, I was going to okay. say we're one of two two teams in our conference that don't have beach right now. Two, three, I'm not sure about Gonzaga. BYU being the other program that does not have beach. I don't know what the correlation means anything, but you know, BYU and, and USD have been one or two in the conference indoors for the last decade. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's really hard to train and play two sports in college even if they're, they're similar, yet it's like trying to play ping pong and then going to play tennis. Right. So it's two different sports. You really have to train one or the other to be good. Um, of course, you know, if you, like my daughter likes to play beach, that's not her passion. So she does it for fun. Okay. Um, but she's not doing it to get better at playing indoors. She's doing it because she likes to play. Yeah, back in the day, San Diego State, when I was there, our summer homework was to go play at the beach all summer because that was going to get your, in, you're going to jump higher, you're going to hit harder, you're going to have to deal with the elements, but mm -hmm. it was kind of cross-training, it was like as a cross-training yeah, element, where now it's become what they do, right? Yeah, and in order to be really good at beach, you have to train beach yeah. all the time. Yeah, 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 it's, you're right, it's a different sport altogether. 
So we, we were talking before we started recording about Jane and your decision with her. And so one of the questions I get as I'm just getting into it with my daughter, but the parents last weekend at Momentous Center were sitting around in between games and this conversation starts, you know, what are you going to do with her next year? Is she going to stay at this club? What club, what team is best to be on? What advice would you have to parents as we're all trying to navigate? We want our kids to get better. They, they are saying, if they, if they are saying they love it, but they're 12 or 13 or still not even in high school yet, what advice would you give to parents on, uh, in those situations? Yeah, I think one of, I mean, the most important things, and it's hard because the clubs hold back for so long. Obviously, for me, it's the coaching. You know, who is going to be coaching that team? Whether it be the ones team, the twos team, whatever it is, who is the coach? What's their experience? What's their reputation like? How are they, you know, how are they going to benefit your child? Um, because that's the person that they're spending, you know, where, where they're going to make the improvement with. Right. They have to go to somebody that can train them technically. Um, and then you got to look at, I mean, we made a really hard decision this year because Jane was playing on a ones team, 12s, 13s, 14s, 15s year. She, she, she switched positions and started setting. And in order to be on the court all the time and playing, she made a decision to play on a twos team so that she could get that playing time. So a lot of parents ask me too, should my, my kids hit the bench on the ones team? or should they play on the twos team? Mm -hmm. And we made, as a family, a decision, play on the twos team so that you can play and that there's so much to be learned by being on the court. Obviously, it's a, it's a team sport and everybody has a role, plays a role and um, you know, the, you know, the success of the team is built upon all of the players. But if you really, at that age, you really want to develop and you really want to grow in the sport, you have to be in a position where you're feeling the pressures of being in the game. Mm -hmm. and how to handle that. It's different. You know, everybody says, my kid does great in practice. Well, everybody plays great in practice. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. but how are they going to, how do they translate that into a match? And unless you have the opportunity to be in the match, you don't know. Right. So. Right. That's such, so well said. Yeah. So speaking of that, so let's say Jane, does she have aspirations of playing at college or is it too early to say or? She, I think she would love to play in college. Yeah. I think she would. I mean, she talks about playing in college, but I think it's also, and um, I don't know if it's because of my profession, the realism that, that sets in for, for as a parent saying, you know, I don't know if you can, I don't want to be a dream squasher, but I also want to be a realist and telling her, you know, I don't think you're going to go to UCLA, you know, when they think, oh, I, you know, they list their top five and you're like, hey, that top five, I'm sorry, does not match with Ooh. where you're at, you know, mm -hmm. and as the parent, at some point, you have to bring them back to that reality. Like, it's great if you want to play in college, let's take a look at, you know, where you might fit somewhere. Mm -hmm. Let's, let's, let's look across the country. And again, it's kind of like, coaching. are you willing to go? Yeah. Are you willing to go somewhere to play volleyball or do you just want to go somewhere that you really want to go to college? Those are two different things. And hopefully you can marry the two and find some place that will fit both. Um, and we, I mean, I did, I went to William Mary and it was fantastic for me. It was a great school. It was, it was far from home. Um, and you know, I had a great time playing college volleyball mm -hmm. as a division one athlete, you know, right. and, and we were successful. Um, 
but I wasn't going to, you know, the top 10 programs in the country. So it's hard to, it's hard to, they, kids don't know. Parents feed that, right? Parents feed their dream a little bit about where they should be playing and where they should be looking. And I don't think it's always a reality. So good point. So how, what advice would you give to parents? Because a lot of parents, I, I, I get all the time, oh, your kids are so lucky you played, you understand how it all works. A, it's changed, but they're right. And B, that at least I have some understanding and my husband played as well. So we have some understanding of how the process works. But what about the parents who like, I don't know anything about how the process works. So what advice would you give to them when they don't know like what realistic is? Right. I think you need to, um, A, watch some college volleyball. And there's tons of matches on everybody's websites from the last year. Just kind of see, hmm, does that seem like, you know, my daughter can play at that level, can go, go see some matches in your area. Mm-hmm. But then, um, you know, you got to talk to your club coaches. You got to pe- talk to people that are evaluating your kid and that can be honest in their evaluation of that kid. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so funny how many parents say, oh, I'm going to send my kid to X, Y, or Z camp this summer because I want them to be seen. And I'm like, well, that's, don't go there because you want to be seen. Go there because you want to learn some more volleyball because, mm-hmm. you know, such a small, uh, even more, a smaller percentage of kids get recruited from, from camp than they do just from, from playing um, club volleyball. Um, but it's the wrong reason, again, why yeah. I think parents need to, to open their eyes to how, I mean, there's lots of opportunity out there, tons, 350 just division one schools, not to mention the NAIA, division two, division three schools. There's so many places if they're, if they're willing to, you know, do some research and go that route. Great, great advice. Okay. So let's shift a little bit to, to your team. Cause I know that's also what parents want to hear. Like, okay, so if my kid was lucky enough to play at whatever level in college, mm-hmm. what happens at that level around, um, this is a big one for women in all of our lives, right? Is nutrition and how do you feel fuel? And I know I'm dealing with a teenage 17 year old who could eat the house down and still not gain weight. And (laughs) it's not fair, but also trying to teach him that it doesn't, even if you can eat whatever you want, you got to try and put the right stuff in if you want to get the results out. Right. So we were joking before we started that, you know, we may have stopped at, what was it, Golden Corral? Or, or all you can eat, as buffet. much as you can eat, because you don't know when you're going to eat again. <laughs> <laughs> so you would shovel as much as you can. I'm guessing that's not necessarily the training table you have at USD. <laughs> so. All you can eat stops, no. <laughs> no, um, you know, and, and, and nutrition is such a huge part of their and as we say, you know, it's not even so much about the nutrition, it's about fuel. It's fueling the athlete, right? You have to, in order to play at your optimum level, you have to be prepared in a lot of ways, but nutritionally is so important because you can see kids bonk out during practice um, and you'll, you just say, hey, what'd you, what'd you eat before this? And they're like, oh, I ate a, a cliff bar for lunch. You're like that, you know, you can't, you can't sustain on that. You can't drive on that. So we talk a lot about um, eating lots of small meals. We talk about being, and, and the hard thing about being in college is being prepared to eat mm-hmm. uh, because you're running from one thing to the next in class. So time management is um, as important in nutrition as what you're eating, mm-hmm. making sure that you have with you enough to sustain for the day before you get to practice, you know, and, and the next day. And that's a, 
that's a hard balance for anyone. I mean, as a, as a mom, you know, you look in your, your refrigerator, you go, we have nothing for dinner. You know, I'm not prepared. Yeah. So what are we going to eat? And, and so we talk about that with them a lot. Like, what are you prepared to eat today, tomorrow, this week? Mm-hmm. Um, those kids that live off campus that are shopping for for themselves now and have to go to the grocery make that part of their, their weekly plan. Um, you know, so they know they have, we have a nutritionist, they have a good idea of what they should be focused on eating in terms of um, calorie and cal- what kind of calories are good and, and, and substantial. Um, but we don't monitor them. We like, we don't, you know, do I don't do weigh-ins. Do you have, do you we, do body fat percentage? Do we you don't, do- we don't do body fat percentage. We do, um, we'll weigh in periodically in the weight room as our strength coach, just to see, make sure there's not some giant swing in their, in their, um, weights. Um, cause th- then, you know, that might raise a concern. You know, uh, you put on 15 pounds, what are you eating? When are you eating it? You know, that kind of thing. But not because, um, you know, we have to keep them stringent on what they're doing every day. Right, right, right. What about lifting? How often are you lifting in season versus out of season? In season, we lift two days a week, more of a maintenance program just to keep them um, strong enough through the season. Um, Because you'll find that oftentimes, especially in college by November, December, if you're not keeping up with um, your body, you are more prone to injury. Um, you're more fatigued in practice. Um, so you need to you need to sustain. And so we're not looking for any strength gain during the season, um, but you need to be in there and and repping out on the things that we know that are going to help your body, your knees, your shoulders. You know, there's a lot of band work. There's a lot of stretching out, that kind of thing. Um, and then in the spring, we lift three days a week and condition the other two. Um, so, and that is a strength gain period and they have to, and as I tell all of the, our athletes, you need to buy in as the the quicker you buy in, the faster you're going to see it translate to the court. Mm. A lot of freshmen will come in and they'll think, I I don't really, I don't want to lift, lift a lot lot of weights. I don't want to buy new jeans. I don't want to, (laughs) I want to look this way for the rest of my life. And so it takes them a little while and they look at the upperclassmen who are lifting so much um, more than they are, are moving it faster. You know, that's, that's the key for us too, is how fast can you move this weight, be dynamic, be explosive, and how can you translate that then to the court? And, uh, and the sooner they can buy into that and realize, oh, this is going to make me a better athlete, the faster they can, you know, use it to their advantage. Mm, which is a great segue. So that's buying in is the mental piece, right? Is understanding, that if I'm doing this, this is going to get me this result. And so this is the part that just fascinates me and what I loved. I love unpacking with my clients and with, you know, athletes that I talk to around. So what do you do from a mental toughness standpoint, mental training, mental preparation? Do you do visualization or are you talking at all about how you train is how you play? Like what are the steps that you go through with your team around mental preparation? Yeah, we do. Um, we do a lot of education um, first and foremost, especially in our in our preseason. Before, um, we'll often read a couple different books during the preseason. What this are your favorites? Year. Do you can you think of any? This this past year we read um, Legends, um, the All Blacks. The, oh yeah, yeah. Um, about the rugby team in New Zealand, who's just you know, all world all yeah. the time, and how they got there. And um, so some of our mantra this past year was we, we sweep the shed. Yep. That no matter what position you are in the team, if you're a senior, you're whatever you are, you're the first one there, you've left it better than, than when you got there. Um, and that nobody is bigger 
than the program or than the team. And that has really, our culture um, around that, I think, has really driven our success. We don't vote team captains. Um, we, we see that um, being a leader um, is not tied to your year on the program. It's not tied to you know, how you can lead. It's, t- it's more um, earned, your respect, um, your voice. The freshmen don't carry the ball back and no. set up the nets? No? Well, that's gone? <laughs> I know, right? Well, I mean, I think there's a lot of programs that probably still do that. Yeah. But yeah. we try now, it's like, the I'm like, seniors, you've got to be the first ones, you know. You're leading. First ones to out, out in practice, first, last ones to leave, bring out the ball, make sure we're ready to go, and you're responsible for it. So we have this culture where the seniors will come in and we'll talk about, okay, how are you going to get everybody on the same page mm-hmm. and not to see you separate as everyone else. Um, so I think we're at a really good place for, for chemistry because of that. Um, and I said, you know, leaders aren't always liked. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be liked because that's the other thing with girls, I think, that oftentimes, you know, they're like, well, I don't want to say anything because they're not going to, you know, be my friend. <laughs> I said, well, I think they're going to respect you if you stand up for what you think is right for the team. Um, so we talk a lot about that. We do, anyway, so we do, we do some reading. We do some preparation um, in terms of just educational stuff, right? We do have a sports psychologist also here at USD oh, cool. who's available for them one-on-one if they want to or um, as a team. So, do um, many people take advantage of them? Yeah, some of them do. Yeah. One-on-one. It's, it's really great because, you know, there's a lot, I think mostly a lot of it is performance anxiety driven, um, you know, pressure. And we often talk about how um, pressure is a privilege. Mm -hmm. If you're not under pressure and in your matches, then you're not playing for anything. Um, Mm -hmm. So how do you handle that? And we score a lot of stuff in practice, you know, to, to cultivate. We love that competitive nature. We're not afraid of it. We don't want them to come into practice and, and um, fade away. Mm-hmm. You know, it's okay to be competitive. It's okay to get out there and want to win and want to beat somebody out of that spot, you know? Mm-hmm. And so we, we do a lot of scoring things. And I mean, I'm sure you and I did plenty of scoring stuff <laughs> where it was either right side versus outside and yeah. somebody super mad, yeah. <laughs> super mad. But you know, that's what makes you better too at the end of the day. Yeah. So. That's one thing I admired about you so greatly was your will to win. And as I said, the, I, that same drive, like, I, I don't care whether we're playing Chinese checkers or wiffle ball or, you know, we're playing volleyball, like to always want to win and to have that internal and willingness to say, so I'm going to lose today and I'm going to come back tomorrow and I'm going to fight that much harder. I mean, that's the other piece that we talk about a lot with, with our teenagers is this resistance, re- resilience um, coming back, right? So how do you deal with losing? And uh, what are you, what are you coaching your players around when it doesn't go your way? What, what do you, what do you guys talk about? Yeah, I find that, um, you know, the fear of failure is so big right now. And oftentimes you'll, you'll recognize it because you'll say, you're not emotionally invested mm-hmm. in this. And they kind of put themselves on reserve Mm-hmm. So that if they, if they happen to lose, then it doesn't hurt as much. They're not opening, they're not vulnerable enough to losing. Right. So the more losing hurts, the better an experience <laughs> for you. If it doesn't hurt to lose and you just walk away and you're like, what's for snack? Like, you know, the soccer at age five, um, 
you know, then you haven't given it everything you have. And so you really, we talk a lot about being emotionally invested in what we're doing. Um, you know, cause, cause everybody's going to fail. That's just part of the game. You're going to lose and you have to come back on Monday and, and figure out how, what you're going to focus on to, you know, improve on those areas that, that you fell short on. Right. But more, most importantly, be invested, be invested in what you're doing emotionally so that, yeah, you can feel that emotion and that hurt. And then you're going to develop this determination that's even stronger the next time around. At some point in life, everything gets hard, right? Whatever it is you're doing. So if you're now playing with the top 1% of the country and you're playing against the top 10 teams in the country, it's going to get hard, right? But that's what you you came for. So being able to to live into that and step into that is is the greatness, right? Absolutely. So, so finally, I know I'm going to let you go, but I, last thing to some advice for the parents, right? That's what we're all struggling with. We're both parents. We know, what, we know how they feel. We're making bad decisions all the time too. All the time. Uh, around, around how do we more effectively support our kids? If this is, if this is, I totally agree with your point. It's got to be intrinsically driven. It's got to be their passion. If it's, if you're the one loading up the water bottle and the snacks and getting them out of bed at 5.30 in the morning and, or whatever, and shuttling them and they are dragging their feet and I hate it, then you need to reevaluate. But what, what advice for the parent who says they are intrinsically driven, what can I do to better support them? Yeah, that is a good question, right? Because um, me, for me being a parent, I often have to forgive myself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because it's so um, hard to communicate to your own athlete. And oftentimes, I mean, everybody has seen it, right? The only thing you should tell your kid is that I loved watching you play. Uh, I loved watching you play, but you really could have been better on defense. And I don't think that your transition move was fast enough and your effort there wasn't that good. And your elbow was kind of low when you were on your toss. So are you taking notes? <laughs> Did you hear all this? Yes. We can and review it later. <laughs> and you're, you weren't looking your coach in the eye and the way you were standing on the bench. I mean, it just, the list could go on and on. Right. And so you have to find, um, how can you parent while also and encourage and and give some feedback, right? How can you constructively um, give that feedback to your kid where they they want to hear you? Because most kids just want to shut you out, right? So mm -hmm. I don't have any great answers or solutions to this because I'm not good at it. <laughs> <laughs> we can raise our hands. Okay. Everybody, yeah. Those that know how to talk to your kid and get them um, to listen to you because, I mean, even in my house, I don't know a lot about volleyball. <laughs> <laughs> You're not the smartest person in the room. <laughs> um, and what's interesting too, I find, at least with all three of my kids, that you can't, one, it's not a copy paste. You can't parent each of them the same way. Like what works with the oldest, you know, will come back and hit you so fast in the face with the second one. So it's also understanding their personalities. Whereas the first one's like, give me more, give me more. He would, right. he'll take notes. He would love to understand right away. But my second one, when you say your toss was awful, he hears, I don't, I don't like you. And so right. he curls up in a ball. So yeah. it's, yeah, it's very interesting, right? As we evolve as parents, as people, um, and how we can step back, right. let them come to us and say, mom, I want to get better. Do you have any tips?
Oh, yes, I do. <laughs> yes, yes. But and remember that, you know, you're that as a parent, you're going to make the same make mistakes as much as your kid is. And that's, yeah, that's okay. we're all yeah. figuring we're so out. hard on ourselves, you know, yeah, I shouldn't have said that or I said that too soon or, you know, you're so worried about damaging them. <laughs> right. But they're resilient and they come back. And I think that they do hear some of what you say um, and they can read through the tone into yeah. the content. They do. I think they, they take it to heart. Um, but at the end of the day, the most important thing is that you love them. Absolutely. Awesome. Oh, this has been so much fun. <laughs> Thank you so much for taking time as a little wrap up. You know, if you got a teenage daughter, for those with teenage daughters, you, I know you have a camp, right? Or several this summer? Got camps, yeah. Yep. Anything else that, where can they find you? Where can they find out more information about the Toreros? Um, yeah, on our website, there's all this information about our team and our roster. You could, I'm sure, I know, not that I do it, but there is an Instagram. <laughs> there is <laughs> social media. social media out there. I don't know how to do it or how to find it, but I know we're on Instagram too, which awesome. is, is one of the ways I talk to, or my daughter learns more about things. <laughs> she, she informs you about what's going yeah. on. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jen. This has been really fun and I so appreciate it. And, and go admire what you're doing. I think you're doing a great job. Oh, thank you. Well, go Toreros and go tribe. <laughs> All right. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this show, please, please share the love. Take a moment to rate the podcast, write a review, and or forward it to other parents you know who are trying to navigate this giant hairball that is new sports. We'd be so appreciative if you did. Thanks so much.